It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Andy Paul with Bridget Gleason. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I am doing great, Andy. Thank you. Oh, that's good. You're always doing great. I, I typically, at least I say <laughs> I'm doing great. Some days are easier than others. Today's a good day, though. Today is. It's it's a great day. It's going to be another warm, nice California day. At least where I am. Where are you today? I am in San Francisco. So also a, a beautiful day here. Excellent. Excellent. So. Topic we're going to talk about first today, which I think is something that, that lots of people are interested in hearing about, is is there's this buzzword that's going around that everybody uses, and it's it's like you know cliches everywhere. It's overused and it's used inappropriately many times. And the buzzword is sales acceleration. And yeah, you know, I have to admit I I use it myself, but I I happen to think that I have the right definition for it. But uh, that's well, just I- me. I would love to hear your definition, Andy, since you put it out there so boldly. So boldly. So boldly that you have the right definition. Well, you know, I've been using sales acceleration since the year 2000. You know, I started my first started my initial sales consulting business. That's what I talked about as the title. I was, you know, sales acceleration expert because that is what I had done. You know, prior to that, uh, before starting my own company, I'd worked for a series of, of startups and... Typically, I was brought in at a time when sales had sort of stalled and, and the growth wasn't happening the way they wanted. And, and then it needed to say, okay, what's the way forward quickly, right? Especially if you're a venture-funded company. So I thought, yeah, okay, well, I've got some real expertise and experience about how to help companies establish momentum and, and accelerate their sales. But I have to admit that my, my idea of what sales acceleration is has sort of morphed over the years. And to really being coming from a sales-centric, originally from a sales-centric point of view, to really, it's really about the buyer. You know, to me, if I'm going to define sales acceleration, it is the steps you can take as a seller to help the buyer make a faster decision. That's what sales acceleration is. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. I think, I think we've always been concerned about sales acceleration. We never used that term. And I, I think... You're right, Andy, that it's always been how can we've been much more in the past, very seller focused based on our timeline. So sales acceleration, how can I get the deal done faster? How can I get it to match my timeline? And I think you're right. The tools that are coming out today, I don't know that sales acceleration is even the right term, as you suggest. It's, It's more how do we engage better with the right prospects at the right time to deliver to them the products and services that they're looking for at the time that they're looking. And so the the net benefit is perhaps that it seems like we've accelerated the sales cycle, but I think what we've actually done is we've, we've just, there are tools and technologies now that allow us to identify more accurately, both in terms of maybe product service fit and timing, what a buyer's looking for and when. And if we can sort of fit in to a buyer's journey and be helpful to them, 
the sales cycle is accelerated, but it's also a much more pleasant experience for the buyer. And I think that's that's really the the goal that we're we're striving for. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at sales in the context of is that yeah, sales is purely in service of the buyer. Absolutely. Right? And that and that selling really doesn't start until you have a qualified prospect. That's that's sort of my point of view. Is that you know prior to that lead generation, prospecting, so on. Salespeople certainly have responsibility for it. You've got to do the business development, but it's it's really a form of marketing in many respects, right? I mean, in an ideal world, and I talk about this in my latest book, in an ideal world, and it certainly doesn't exist, you know, sales would have all the high-quality leads coming in, being generated through marketing activity that they needed, and they'd never have to make a cold call. But That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I don't foresee that, that happening anytime soon, but... If you say, okay, if that's the ideal, well, then really what we're doing as salespeople these days when we're prospecting and so on is we're, we're making up for that, that shortfall in our marketing capabilities. Yeah, and I, I, think that's, I, I think that's true. I think also that marketing and sales, uh, the lines are blurring between the two. And marketing, their role now goes so far and deep into the, the traditional sales funnel um, that, yeah, it makes up for a marketing shortfall, but marketing and sales really work so closely together in that. And as you've probably experienced, uh, Andy, just in your career, I- I'm, I'm joined at the hip with marketing because I am so dependent on them for um, bringing in bringing leads. We do a lot in sales, but cold calling, I mean, truly cold calling, cold calling is not effective. There are a lot of things that a salesperson can do and that these sales acceleration tools can help a salesperson to do to help identify the right prospects at the right time, whether marketing has brought them in or not. But yeah, I think the reason that, that people go out and prospect and have to cold call is there's, there's whoever owns that piece at the top, and it's typically marketing, there's, there's not enough coming in to meet uh, revenue targets. Yeah, I mean, I talk about this concept, what I call the lead deficit, right? As a salesperson, you there's a way to calculate exactly how much activity, proactive business development activity you need to undertake in a year in order to hit your numbers based on what this number, calculating this number I call lead deficit. And I won't spend a lot of time here talking about it, but you know, people can come to my website, send me an email, and I'll, I'll send you the formula. But you sort of have to do that as a salesperson is to really understand, okay, well, what, what portion of my uh, leads am I going to get? you know, from inbound marketing and what percentage of my leads do I have to develop myself? And and absolutely. And Andy, I'm a big believer that every salesperson has sort of individual responsibility to know what their own personal metrics are and to understand where that deficit is and work with a manager or whomever to make sure that they're, they're constantly in conversation about what the deficit is and what needs to be done to to make up that shortfall. But under a salesperson understanding their own metrics, um, I think is a critical skill for salespeople. Yeah, I agree. I mean, again, especially in this this context of sales acceleration, no matter how you define it. I mean, if if your goal is to say, look, you know, I'm trying to take whatever steps I can to help my buyer move through their buyer's journey more quickly. You know, that's all pretty measurable. Right, and you should know there's a certain quantity to it and a certain duration <laughs> to the to the steps, and yeah. you need to understand your metrics relative to both. 
That's true. And I, and I think this is not, metrics are not also a set and forget. So as hopefully marketing gets better and learns about how to bring in more qualified leads, that's going to change the metric. As a sales rep improves, let's say, their ability to convert a prospect from one stage to the next or improve um, close ratios, the metric will change. So metrics are things that need to be uh, looked at on a continuous basis because they're going to change. It's it's definitely not a set and forget. There are parameters around it that probably are relatively um, stable. But I think, but but I think looking at them sort of on a on a continuous basis is also important. Well, so what are the key sort of personal sales metrics that you think salespeople should have a handle on? Um, I think they should know. I think at each stage along the way, what their conversion ratios are from one one stage to the next. Mm-hmm. I I typically go through and I try to simplify it when I'm managing a team. At the very outset, let's say it's a new team, the beginning of a year, the beginning of a quarter, we take, we take a look at the metrics. And again, I try to keep it really simple where we start with, here's what your target is, let's say for the month. Let's say it's 40K in ARR mm-hmm. and my average deal size is 10K, which means I need to do at least four deals. Right. And then we back into, all right, if I'm going to do four deals, how many proposals does that mean that I need to send? And to send that many proposals, how many demos does that mean? If I, if I do that many demos, how many discovery calls? If I do that many discovery calls, how many prospects do I need to be engaged with? To get a prospect engaged, how many, how many targets do I need that are going to convert to someone that I can actually engage with? And you just back into what the numbers are. And then I encourage reps manage to your own manage activities to the your own activities to those metrics and i've done this in my own career where i sort of set a baseline of what these these metrics are and if i manage to the activities i i get i get to the end result that i'm looking for and again there's there's an element of needing to to review this on a continuous basis but it's again it's it's an important skill and there are there are lots of tools also to help managers and sales reps in the sales acceleration suite of tools manage different aspects of this. And I think that's those those are really helpful. Um, some of those I think are really helpful. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah dashboards in Salesforce that you can yeah. set up and other CRM systems that can you know help you monitor as an individual or as a manager these metrics. Well, I agree with you. I think that that you have to keep these as simple as possible. So I, I really focus on on two because I think get beyond two is people stop focusing, right? They start it's too much for for people. And I think even for managers it's hard for them to keep in mind more than a couple of key metrics. So what I use with people is say leads to qualified prospects and qualified prospects to orders in terms of simple conversion. Yeah, that's good. That you're tracking. And if you can track those two then and understand your number then, as you said, you explode that out into your activities that are required in order to hit those those numbers. And those numbers will vary from individual to individual. I mean, I was somebody in my career that I always had a pretty small pipeline because I closed a really high fraction of my, my qualified leads. Because I figure if somebody's really qualified and qualified the way I qualified them, because I knew when I qualified them, they were only qualified to buy what I was selling. 
right? They, I didn't qualify people to sort of being a prospect for my general type of product that I was selling. I qualified them for exactly what I was selling. So I knew that if they're qualified for exactly what I was selling, it was based on that unique differentiator I had that others didn't have. So I knew that the odds of me winning were up substantially. So I could carry a fewer quantity of prospects. But I always knew what the, the metrics were between those two categories. And that was always the guiding force. And I could build my entire sales plan on that. You know, Andy, that is such a great story. And I would encourage, in fact, I had a, a meeting with um, one of my team's uh, day before yesterday, on this very topic, that I would rather them spend more time at the very top of the funnel, making sure that they are highly qualified. And, and we've got tools to help us give some idea whether how qualified a lead is. They're not perfect, but we, we've got tools that will definitely help with this. I'd rather them spend more time spending qualifying and, and disqualifying. Mm-hmm than I would doing sort of a spray and pray. I don't think buyers appreciate it. Buyers and, and prospects, they don't want to be hit. It's it's why salespeople get a bad name, that we're, we're being hit with products and services that we're not interested in, that we're not a good fit for, or it's not a good time. And I think the better that we can do and our reps can do it qualifying, the, the more pleasant this the buyer journey is going to be. And and it's gonna be it's gonna be a more interesting role for a salesperson as well. Well yeah, because you're spending more of your time with people that are actually gonna buy from you. Yeah. And that's always more interesting, right? I mean it I, I more interesting, exactly. <laughs> I mean I fundamentally believe that in my own selling is that if I lose a deal, then I didn't do a good enough job of qualifying the prospect. Because if I had really qualified them, they were going to buy from me. So, Andy, that's another that's another really good one. I, I feel as a, a sales leader, <clears throat> it's my job. It's my job for to the team. It's my job to the company that I make sure that my reps have that same perspective and capability. That if it's qualified, they can close it. Yeah. That's and their job. If it's qualified, they can close it. So the better that they are at qualifying, once they bring it in, they ought to be able to close it. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about qualification after the break because I think it's a really important topic. It's one that does not get enough focus from sales and sales leaders in terms of what it really means to qualify a prospect. And we'll talk about that more after the break. This is Andy Paul with Bridget Gleason. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Hi, welcome back. Andy Paul with... Bridget Gleason. And we're talking about prospect qualification. Well, we started with sales acceleration, but now we've sort of morphed and migrated down to prospect qualification, which really has a tremendous role to play with sales acceleration. You're talking about helping a buyer move through their buyer's journey more quickly. You know, if, if you're not 
if they're not qualified to buy your product, you're just wasting their time and your own. So that certainly doesn't help them get through their buyer's journey. So I talked before the break about a very specific way to qualify that I use. And I, I use sort of a two-step um, two method, if you will. So the first thing is, you know, I talk about before is, are they specifically qualified to buy what I'm selling? And I call that product qualification versus category qualification. You know, what most salespeople do is say, well, yeah, this person's sort of qualified to buy generally what we're selling, which is our category of product. But they didn't qualify them to a specific value proposition that you're selling that's going to be the reason the customers could buy from you in the first place, right? So yeah. they don't do this, what I call a specific product qualification. And then the second step is once you go through that and they're qualified to buy your existing, your specific type of product, is I do what I call value qualification, which is very early on is I'm going to say, I'm going to reach a tentative agreement with the prospect that their perception, the value they're going to receive from my product is equal to the price I'm going to charge for it, or at least equal to the price I'm going to charge for it. And if you don't have agreement on that, that simple value qualification relatively early on, and then you have to continually requalify to it as you move through the sales process and the buyer's journey, you don't have a qualified prospect. You know, if they say, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah we agree that's the value we're going to receive from your product, but it's not worth $50,000. Yeah. And that your product costs, you know, price of your product is $50,000. Well, then you've got a basic disconnect. You know, you either need to be able to resolve it. And if you can't resolve it, what most salespeople do is they keep saying, well, we'll negotiate that later, right? That'll become a negotiation, which is not where you want to be, right? Because <laughs> if the customer does like ultimately choose you, what you've said is, okay, getting the deals dependent on sacrificing my margins. And I think that's, I think, Andy, that's where a lot of reps naturally go when it gets to that. Instead of trying to resolve that value equation and making sure that there's an agreement to value as to the value or to be able to more adequately sell the value, they devalue the product. They, they start to discount. We'll, we'll, we'll negotiate. And that's not always the answer. In fact, that's often, more often than not, it's not the answer is to just, because we, we still haven't agreed on, on value. Sometimes, sometimes there's a reason to do that. But I, I don't think that's, that should be the go-to place. And I see that often as being the go-to place. I'll just lower the price. Yeah. Well, and they also don't, I, reps, this is a hard concept. It shouldn't be, but it seems to be a hard concept for many reps to, to grasp, which is, you, know, you should know the value that your product is going to be able to provide the customer, right? You should be able to explain that. You should be able to explain it to them in a way that the customer understands it, which means there's a, some sort of quantifiable value, right? In this case, we're not talking about the differentiator from the value I talk about that you deliver as a salesperson. This is the value your product is going to create for the customer. It is has to be quantifiable. And that, quant that quantity of value has to be able to relate to a price. And what I see a lot of times is that and I see some managers actively coach against this to saying, well, we don't want to talk about price too early. And it's like, well, yeah and no, right? Because if, if the price is a problem, I'd, I'd like to know up front, right? Because we think maybe we're selling a premium product. I've been in cases where many times in my career where I sell a premium product, uh, premium price product. You need to know that issue up front because it's not that we're charging premium price just for the heck of it. It's because we're providing premium value as well. And if the customer thinks, ah, yeah, I don't really need that extra value you're going to provide, then they're not a prospect, right? Buy the, buy the cheap product that just does the basics. We're going to 
find prospects that really need this premium value that we're selling. Yeah, I I think it's good to put it out there right off the bat with confidence. This is the price. I think it, there's so much that's conveyed in a tone and an attitude and confidence that, like you said, it's a premium product. There's a reason for this price. There's no apology around the price. And putting it out there right up front, I think, is really important. I think the other thing that happens is when, when, when one discounts a product without asking for something in return, it actually erodes trust between the seller and the buyer. Because the buyer or prospective buyer thinks, oh, well, wait a second, now they're giving me a discount. I should have just pushed harder in the beginning. They get into this game. And in negotiation, you're taught, okay, I can give you the discount, but you ask for something in return. I can give you that discount, but it, I, I need it to be done by, by Friday. I can give you this discount. Would you agree to be a um, customer reference? I can give you this discount... Um, but we're gonna. We need to change the terms. Yeah, it's gonna be a five-year deal, not a three-year deal. Not a three-year deal. So, right. but I think just to give the discount without thinking about it, you've eroded the trust, and now you've set up the dynamic that whatever you bring up, they're gonna push you because they know ah, you just need to ask for it. They're not gonna give me. They're not gonna give me the best price up front. Yeah. Well, I think absolutely. We train our customers um, to expect a discount. I, I think the other, I like the two that you talked about for qualifying and disqualifying. And, and one of the things I also tell reps is it's super important to disqualify out of your funnel. The mm -hmm. earlier you can disqualify, feel good about disqualifying. Don't have things hanging in there just in case. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. It's actually very costly for you and for the organization. So disqualifying is also important. And sometimes what I tell reps is you can disqualify based on timing. And it, it's okay to disqualify for timing. It doesn't mean never. It means not now. It means right. I may move it to next quarter. It means I may move it to next month. But if, if it, and, and I can, I can just look at my own, my own sort of purview as a buyer, as a VP of sales. I am approached daily with a myriad of products and services, some of which I need and have an intention to buy. But at the particular moment in time, I may be consumed with a particular project that I'm tr trying to roll out, and I, I can't get to it. It will not get my attention, and it doesn't help to push me on it. Well, but this is, this is a big thing because <laughs> a couple years ago I wrote a blog post about this is, what to do after the customer says we're not interested. And so, not, so, in, not interested for a variety of reasons, one of which yes. included timing and so on. And the feedback was from some people was, was quite extreme in saying, when a cust I'm a sales leader, sales manager, and I teach my salespeople that when the customer says we're not interested, I tell them to sell harder. <laughs> and and I, I wrote back and I said, uh, you know, I'm a business owner and you know, just like you said, and I get approached all the time to buy things. And when I tell a salesperson that I'm not interested, there's not a subtext there of, please come sell me harder. What I'm really saying is, I'm not interested, right? For whatever reason. 
I'm just not interested. And there is this mindset that seems to still be fairly pervasive among uh, sales managers and obviously some sales trainers and so on is that when the customer says they're not interested, that that is the cue to push harder rather than saying, right, they may not be interested now. It's a matter of timing. I'll put them back in my nurture pool or I'll recontact them in six months and then go on and sell to someone that, that is interested. Such a good, such a good point. I had this conversation with the rep yesterday talking about an account that's, they've got some inside information about the account. They know that there is some particular pain that they're having, both around another product, a competitive product they're using that's not delivering the performance they need, as well as price. However, nothing is blowing up to make that pain acute. And they've, they've had a demo, they've been on site, and again, it's how hard can we push? Where do we keep, how do we move in? What do we do? So my advice was there will come a point when this pain is going to rear its ugly head in one of the two situations. They're going to, they're, somebody's going to look at cost and say, this is untenable, we need to make a change. And or there's going to be a uh, performance incident. Right. I said, so what you need to do is you need to stay engaged in a very positive, helpful way, not pushing them. Because when it, when this rear, when this comes up, you want to be at the ready and for them to think now's the right time for me to call Sumo Logic. Mm -hmm. And so there are things that you can do about pro providing information, be helpful do things, don't just say, hey, is now a good time? How are you doing? Don't always go with your hand out. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I I wrote a two-part blog post not that long ago. So let's say in the summer of 2015, depending on when people are listening to this. And the title was Value-Based Persistence, right? In this exact case that you described, how do you stay engaged and how do you be persistent but in a way that is perceived to be value added by the prospect. And, you know, there's some very <laughs> concrete things you can do relative to delivery of valuable content, you know, something that the, the prospect receives value from, right? That you can do on a stage basis. There are tools that help you schedule this engagement. Uh, you know, the world of, of content out there on the internet that you can use to harvest or your internal content that you can then, as I said, put on a schedule and deliver to the customer. You know, I love you know, simple email that just says, hey, Mr. Prospect, I was thinking about you this morning when I read the attached article or, you know, read the article, click on the link to see it. And you'd start training them that that you're still thinking about them, you're still thinking about the problems that they're trying to solve, and you're giving them some additional valuable information to help them think about that. Andy, I'm so glad you brought up that term value-based persistence, which you probably coined. I did, yes. At my, this is really an issue for our team. In fact, at our team meeting on Monday, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna forward your blog posts. We're gonna cover them. We're gonna cover that at our meeting on Monday because I think that is exactly what I want my team to do. I want them to be persistent, but it needs to be value based persistence. And going back to the topic that we opened this discussion with, sales acceleration. Sales acceleration and sales acceleration tools that are out there that will help with this, that you can create personal email campaigns to help 
to help do this so that you're not always having to remember. Yesware does this really well. Outreach does this really well. There are others out there. But there are ways for reps to do this. But I think the key is value-based persistence. It's not give up, not responding, throw it back in the pond. It's how do I continue to engage in a way that provides value to the buyer, prospective buyer. Yeah, and there's there's a prerequisite to that that I talk about in the blog post, which is you have to make an assessment, a, a pragmatic assessment as a sales rep and maybe as the manager helping them make this decision that this is a good potential prospect for our product, right? I mean, it's so easy to say, yeah, I'm going to keep doing that with this prospect. I'm going to persist. But they weren't really somebody that you'd end up qualifying in the first place. And so you have to make that first that first decision. Is this really a good this prospect really a good fit for our product or service? You know, again, I, I think this is such a great topic. With some of these tools, some of these sales acceleration tools allow a salesperson to schedule these cadences of emails to a large number with the a large number of prospects with the click of a button. Mm-hmm. And in a way that's great and in a way that's horrifying because I think what's happening is it allows a salesperson very easily to spray and pray and they're not fully qualified and they're not, they're not providing value at every touch. And I think that's not the fault of the tool, but it's the fault of the, the team and the training and the process. And I think it's imperative that we use these tools in a way that we deliver value at every touch, not just that we're throwing stuff out, that we are training, back to something you said earlier, training our customers and prospective buyers to ignore what we send. Because that's what happens. If if we're not adding value, we're training customers to ignore us. And that's not what we want. Exactly. Well, that's a great way to wrap up. Hope everybody's enjoyed the conversation today. We talked about sales acceleration. We talked about qualification, disqualification how to persist in a value-based way, which is so very important if you've got the right opportunity. And I thank everybody for joining us today. I'm Andy Paul. And I'm Bridget Gleason. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.